0: The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only And contains bad words and other yucky stuff That may make some people very angry So watch out This is 911 What is the nature of your emergency? I've been robbed Please list the items in question My latte is only a single You're calling from a cell phone, aren't you? Yes In your car? Yes And there's definitely not a dollar fifty worth of sprinkles on top They totally ripped me off! You drive a blue BMW this year's model, don't you? What? License plate XYZ PDQ? Um, yeah. For frivolous waste of 911 operator time, you are removed from the gene pool. Don't let this happen to you. Make sure your emergency is a real emergency. Wishful thinking, eh? But wishful thinking is the root of good fiction. For more good fiction, check out 19 Nocturne Boulevard at www dot That's nineteen Nocturne That's one nine Nocturne Boulevard. Bone, Bat, Bone, Bat, it's time for the
1: Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. it's a kick-ass digital
0: broadcast, where we've got dick jokes galore, Bone Bat.
2: Listen to them, children of the night,
0: what music they need.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 101 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. Yeah, and this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's
3: just one embarrassment after another. How's it going with you?
1: <laughs> I, I am, haven't been embarrassed today yet, but uh, I think you're going to tell us a story here that uh, might change
3: that. I continue to soil myself publicly. I was in a situation where there was a big crowd. There were there were vendors. There were people with clipboards. And there were people taking surveys and handing stuff out. And I didn't want to take a survey. I don't want to talk to anybody. So I do what I do in a situation like that. Someone comes up to me and says, hi, do you have five minutes for the environment? And I say, I don't speak any English. Just (laughs) to try to, you know, set the right tone. And usually they go on the way and my wife looks at me like I'm an ass. And that's just the way it goes. But this, this situation, people were trying to hand me stuff. They're trying to hand me flyers this guy sticks a flyer out at me, and I don't make any move to reach out to take the flyer from him. And he looks at me, and I just go, sorry, man, I don't have any arms. And my wife looks at me like I'm an ass, even more so than usual. And I look at her, and she's giving me, like, a really hard stare. And so I kind of look the other way, and sure enough, right over my right shoulder, not two feet away from me, is a guy with no arms. Oh, Jesus, dude. Yeah, I didn't see him. He was walking up from behind me. And no, he's no arm guy, and I made the no arm comment, so I am instant ass. Uh, yeah, a little, That's little insensitive there. Yes. How was I to know? What are the odds? So, what did you say? Did you apologize to the man? Well, I didn't do it on purpose. I, there's nothing you can say to make that situation better.
1: No, you just, me. Jesus, I'm sorry. You <laughs> just walk away.
3: That's why I don't know. That's probably what I would do. No, there's nothing you can do in a situation like that. I mean, I took my wife. She looked at me. The guy pretended like he didn't hear anything, and we all went on with our lives. But, yeah, we all knew. He knew. (laughs) So publicly you'd
1: like to apologize right here in this world? No,
3: I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't know there was someone there with no arms. I didn't make fun of anybody. If anyone, maybe I need to apologize to the people trying to hand out flyers for just not taking the flyer.
1: Well, no, but they're trying to invade your mental space, so I, I get trying to rebuff them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that.
3: Yeah. So no, I, okay. I'm, I have no apologies. You know, I'm, I'm sorry if what I said was misinterpreted. How's that?
1: <laughs> you're a man of the year. You're you're bucking for man of the year. I think you just might win. Hey, thanks. All right. Well, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the music this episode? Yeah, let's do it. You are currently enjoying the music of Toronto's Cancer Bats, an amazing metallic punk band that I've been digging on for the last couple of months. Really last year, I discovered their album Dead Set on Living, which came out in 2012, and uh, went and saw them about a month ago with one of my favorite bands right now, Queller Talk. And just great show. I was able to interview Liam, the lead singer of the band. So I've got a truncated interview that will be coming up later. So I, I hope that you dig the music we're hearing. The song we opened with tonight is called Shillelagh from the 2006 debut from the band Birthing the Giant. And we have a lot more great music coming from the Cancer Bat. So I hope you enjoy that. Additionally... This is our 2013 Seattle Crypticon review episode. So we've got a bunch of cool shit. I was able to interview at Crypticon this year Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Cassandra Peterson, and Joe Bob Briggs. How cool is
3: that, dude? That is super cool. Two of my all-time favorites. You know, one of my favorites to look at, one of my favorites to read.
1: But And you know... Like, two people that really had a big influence on us, if you consider the fact that, you know, we grew up to run a comedy horror film festival. No kidding, you're right. You have, like, probably the preeminent national horror host who used to do, remember the uh, MTV Halloween specials that she had? And then Joe Bob Briggs, who you and I used to read his column together all the time. You know, talking about how many gallons of blood, how many breasts, how many beasts are in all these movies that we couldn't see at the drive-in or necessarily at the walk-in theater in Wairika. But we absolutely could pick up a lot of them at our local video store. And so, you know, that was kind of an introduction to the seamier end of horror that wasn't just, you know, the real oh, Carrie's out right now. Well, he, he would do a review of that too, but he would also do Chainsaw Nymphettes 5. And so that was really a big influence on us. And I got to say, you know, kind of looking back now as the director of a film festival that, yeah, that had a big influence.
3: And he'd also review movies like uh, Breakdancing 2, Electric Boogaloo.
1: He would, indeed. Yeah, he had a good range of films they would review. And he was always entertaining about it. And, you know... Considering we talk about movies that we watch here, you can't help but think that there's influence there. So thanks to both of them. It was a pleasure to speak with them, and you'll be hearing the interviews uh, shortly. Aye. Also, we'll talk a little bit about what went on at Crypticon. But before we do that, Gord? Yes? What pisses
3: you off? Two things. First of all, I found out that Steve White, the man who, in 1987... Invented the graphics format known by the, the letters G-I-F, which by all accounts in the English language should be pronounced GIF. This guy that we thought was some sort of a software genius is actually a frickin' moron who pronounces it GIF. <laughs> how can you call the inventor of something a moron? Well, because he doesn't know how to pronounce basic words. Isn't if it... I were to give you a present, if I were to give you... A little something, something at Christmas time. Wrap it up in a bow. Yeah, a gift would be a gift. Be a gift. I hate you so bad.
1: Sometimes you might give me a gift. Uh, what was the name of the little mogwai pet in Gremlin's? Gremlin's. Gremlins. He was a jismo. <laughs> you, yeah, you never want to feed gizmo after midnight. <laughs> no, and yeah, don't get it wet. <laughs> No, I know what you mean. Because I've always called it GIF too. And I thought that was kind of funny that he came out and, and said. But that just seems like, isn't that just a tailor-made argument for the internet?
3: It really is. I think I just threw out the biggest pile of troll bait there is, I think.
1: I, I, of course, am playing devil's advocate. Because once you've released your creation out into the world, it may become something else. Danny Boyle says 28 Days Later is not about zombies. He created the movie. I disagree. So, I'm going to still call it a gift. I don't care.
3: Okay. Well, if you're going to call it a gift, I'm going to call it a gift.
1: Fuck. Okay. As long as we yeah, as long as we're talking to each other, we can call it gifts, but uh,
3: okay. in the privacy <laughs> of our own home,
1: but I will be expecting a birthday gift from you. <laughs> <laughs> now,
3: what's the other thing that pisses you off? You said two things. There are two things. I went to the movie. I saw a preview. The preview was for the new Superman movie. He's got a beard. And I think to myself, what the, how does Superman shave? What in the world does he use to shave off his beard? Does he have like a, a kryptonite razor? I don't think so. He, he wouldn't uses his that
1: stuff laser around. vision, his own laser vision. He wouldn't use his laser vision. That shit would melt the mirror. Well, it depends on the mirror. I mean, laser's light. It doesn't have
3: heat to it, right? Yeah, you could, if that powerful a laser... The kind of laser vision that shoots out of Superman's eyes, if it's powerful enough to trim his super beard, is powerful enough to melt the glass that it hits.
1: Listen, maybe it was the rear view mirror on his fucking spaceship from Krypton, and he oh, repurposed it. Maybe in the Fortress of Solitude, he repurposed a shaving it kit? as a vanity in the Fortress of Solitude. Yes, that's <laughs> okay. what I'm. That is exactly what I'm postulating here.
3: You know what? I'm okay with it then, now, because <laughs> as no sooner had I asked this question and jotted it down in the notes for tonight's podcast when I discovered that Bill Nye, the science guy, had actually answered this question. Well, what does the science guy have to say? doesn't matter what the science guy has to say. My point is, my thought is so incredibly (laughs) original that that Bill Nye is already, like, (laughs) chiming in on it.
1: (laughs) So you didn't even bother looking up what he had to say? Oh, yeah, I looked at it. He's Seattle's own Bill Nye. you got to tell us. Let's hear it.
3: All right. Bill Nye doesn't think that he shaves with a conventional blade or his super laser vision either. He believes that he grinds his beard off in much the way one can polish diamonds with a substance on a disc or a belt that is not as hard as the diamond, that by virtue of the fact you got a lot of it and you're moving it, you can bust off bits of the diamond until it's a smooth surface. So he's essentially taking intergalactic belt sander to his face. That's how he shapes.
1: So if you rub something diamond hard long enough, it'll come out
3: smooth. <laughs> Why well, do I think you're trying to make a masturbation joke here. <laughs>
1: Listen, buddy, you're the one who thought of it. I was just trying to re-say what you were saying. I don't know. I, I don't
3: know. I come in knots. <laughs> Sorry. That's not original. <laughs> don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> Brian Poussain said that.
1: <laughs> well, dude, you know what pisses me off? And I can't be the only person who finds this annoying. Mystery smells. For instance, we come back from Crypticon after we were only gone for a day and a half, not even that long. We opened the refrigerator and it just smelled horrific. And I spent like a half hour rooting through the fridge, dumping out little Tupperware containers, and never did find out the source of that horrible smell. Oh, that's too bad. And it doesn't really smell like that now, but I don't feel like everything I threw away didn't really smell that bad. So I couldn't really attribute it that to being the reason that the refrigerator smelled.
3: So where the fuck does that come from? It was smell synergy. It, it was totally the whole smell me is greater than the sum of its parts. Or
1: you ever get like one of those? You're out in the backyard, and all of a sudden there's a really bad smell under the deck, like there's a dead rat or something under there.
3: And yeah, it's like, that's a I mean, bad thing what, when yeah. the breeze blows just the right way and you go, oh, dead thing.
1: Yeah, like, what, what are you going to do? You can't really pull up your whole deck. So you sort of have to just wait out the smell. So I, I really, mystery smells piss me off. I like to be able to deal with something right away and make it smell better. And it I just really go to the local rental rented.
3: center and get a buzzard.
1: A buzzard. Just,
3: yeah, just get a rental buzzard. They should and do that rent, go right to the dead thing.
1: Rent a pet. Just rent a like, buzzard yeah whatever you need if you need a buzzard maybe you need it's a, not a pet well you just call it that because it sounds better than rent a animal but here in seattle people like will can rent goats
3: oh yeah that's a that's a thing
1: yeah put it in the backyard and they'll like eat the blackberry brambles which are so prevalent here
3: no my wife actually that that's her next business venture she wants to do it's goat to be a she's goat. wanted to do that for a long time
1: Is to be a goat wrangler is that what you said
3: to have a goat rental business. we just run a goat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious.
1: I believe you. All right, uh, a little feedback. Uh, I actually forgot to read an email in our last episode, uh, some episode 100 feedback. We had one last email, and I wanted to read this because I thought it was God cool. damn you. I know. I suck. Dear Stephen Gordon, I just wanted to say that I really enjoy your show. I've been listening ever since you switched with Radio Free Hipster years ago. At first, I was confused. Is this a cover of Holiday in Cambodia? Is this a cover of Holiday in Cambodia with dick jokes? I'm in. And I've been listening ever since. I started listening after my daughter was born, and hearing you, too, makes me realize I can share all the geeky stuff I love with my daughter and not have to turn into some boring dad archetype. I hope you, two keep doing what you're doing for a long, long time.
3: Sincerely, Joe. Oh, that's cool, Joe. Thanks. Is.
1: yeah. It- Makes and it... Thanks for
3: chiming in for our 100th episode. I'm sorry Steve thought so little of you.
1: <laughs> sorry Steve screwed
3: the goat. <laughs> All
1: right, why don't we check out a tune from the Cancer Bats?
3: Alright, check it.
1: This is from 2010's album Bears, Mayors, Scraps, and Bones off Metal Blade and Distort Records. This is Trust No One. What the? is steve at el corazon in seattle and right now i'm visiting with liam from the cancer bats how you doing man
4: i'm good how are you
1: oh shit my voice is gone yeah. almost from <laughs> screaming
4: along with you
1: in on road sick i gotta say this bill is just preposterously ferocious yeah you guys have got to be having a blast on this tour you've got black tusk who is so much fun to watch yeah Cancer bats, you guys are just live wires, and then Queller talk. Holy shit! Yeah, what a tour!
4: Yeah, that was the thing when we got asked to like do this, and uh, they brought it up to us. We were just like, "This is the best. This is literally <laughs> like, yeah, like one of the tours you know. We like always would wish that we could get you know and be a part of. It's like we finally like got to do a full U.S. tour with Cabela Tak, who we, we met a long time ago in the uh, in the U.K. and through Europe and Mm -hmm. became, like, good friends with them. And then to actually, like, be ripping around the U.S. and, like, all the shows have been super fun. It's just like, yes!
1: Well, it's interesting because you guys are all from such disparate locations. You guys are in Toronto. Black Tusk is from Georgia. Yeah, from Savannah. Yeah, Kaloa Talk's from Norway. And yet you all share an intensity, I think, live that makes this bill so very good.
4: Yeah, that's the thing, and it's cool, like, having people, like give us that kind of feedback too that they're just like this is an awesome bill like it's cool like cuz they are we're all different enough that it like has some variety but it's still, like, that similar kind of sludgy, party kind of, like, vibe to the whole thing that it, it, it all still makes sense.
1: Right. But, you know, and I go to a lot of metal shows where the glower is on. You know, everybody's dead serious. And you yeah. see that a lot. And everybody was having a kick-ass time playing rock and roll tonight. And that was fun.
4: Yeah, that's the one that the real, I think, the unifier with all of us is, like, big smiles on everyone's faces, like, while we're playing. Like, when you watch the Black Tusk guys, like, they're singing about Satan. <laughs> but they are all having, like huge grins on their faces They're all just like partying
1: Guitars are flying yeah, everywhere yeah. Well, yeah.
4: Dude, They throw their guitars everywhere, it's awesome
1: Yeah So tell our listeners a little bit where Cancer Bats came from How'd you guys get together?
4: Uh, we first started like back in 2004 End of 2004, Scott and I were just hanging out Talking about, you know, a band that we would want to start You know, something that was kind of like rock and roll Sort of hardcore stuff But nothing serious Like just as like A fun band We were both living Like in two separate towns Like six hours apart And uh We were just like Oh we'll jam You know You could come up To Montreal I'll go down to Toronto I was living in Montreal at the time Mm -hmm. So it was just like Yeah we'll figure it out It'll be cool And we jammed a couple times And we were like This is actually really awesome Like this is a, a really cool band So we asked around Some dudes And you know Got some people together To like actually try and Play as a band And uh It was working out really well. And then it kind of just kept snowballing from there. Like, where, you know, we made a demo. We played it for some friends. Specifically, like, the guys in, like, Alexis on Fire and our friends in Comeback Kid and in, like, other bands. And they were all like, this is really good. And they were like, you guys should be a real band. Like, you guys (laughs) should actually do this. Because tour is really easy. They are like, being a real band is really easy. And we'll take you on tour. We'll, like, hang out. Like, we'll do all this stuff.
1: Oh, that's cool. So you sort of had, like, some mentors getting into it. for
4: them to be like, if you want to do this, we'll help you do it. And I was, like, turning 25 at the time, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, if I am going to do this, like, it might might as well be now. Mm -hmm. And so Scott and I were just like, let's do it. Like, let's do this band full time. And we kind of, like, just never looked back. We were just like, okay, again, like, if we're going to do this, like, let's put everything we have into it. And, uh, yeah, eight years later. (laughs) So it was pretty much, yeah, like, February of 2005. Was like my commitment to move back to Toronto and like, actually do this band.
1: Okay, and then 2006 was your first album that was Birthing the Giant?
4: Yeah, yeah. So we were like, we were touring right off the bat uh, on our demo. Like, we had 10 minutes of music and we went on tour. And we were
1: just like, (laughs) we just want to tour. We're just going to work. Like a stand up comedian. You just needed needed a set,
4: right? Five minutes. and (laughs) And we had like, promoters that would just be like, that was awesome. They're like, that was the shortest like set we've ever had as a headline. <laughs> and I'm just like, Whoa. We were even doing like Misfits covers to try and extend our set. But it's like Misfits songs are like forty five seconds.
1: Yeah, I was like, that's not idiot. gonna get you very far. Yeah, we should
4: have done like a neurosis <laughs> cover if we were like actually smart. But uh but yeah so then from there we like we got hooked up with uh Distort mm-hmm. which is uh the same label that Alexis on Fire were on. Okay. So that was a big thing. They were just like we want you to be on our label. They told the head of the label like you have to sign this band. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was a guy that Scott had known from, you know, metal in Toronto before. So that worked out. And we just kind of like from there, literally just like went on tour with Alexis on fire in 2006. They put out crisis and Mm -hmm. we put out birthing the giant and they literally took us on tour in Canada, America, uh, the UK and Europe, like in that, the rest of that year was just like, you guys are (laughs) coming on tour with us. And they just showed us like how to be a real band. It was oh, like Sam, awesome. and Every Time I Die. <clears throat> they were on that first tour and they just like showed us basically what to do.
1: That's really cool. I think we're getting in trouble. Hey guys, uh,
4: we need to start loading you out. The Department of Transportation here. They want to tow you, so we got to pack you up now. Oh, um, okay. Good. All right. Well, well. Let's,
1: let's just uh, button this up real quick. Yeah,
4: that's a good way to
1: okay. wrap it up. So, uh, again, it was great to meet you. It was a great to uh, see you guys on this tour. and. Uh, the last question we always ask all of our guests on the Bone Bat Show Liam what pisses you off man
4: um the Department of Transportation trying to ruin our hang <laughs> we're just trying to hang out man I'm telling you in the middle of an interview right know, we're shit. just trying to do our thing um no I think we'll be cool and we'll get out of the way that's them right there they're like looking at us yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll turn the van on so it looks like we're doing stuff but cool. thank you for having me on the show sorry we had to cut this short but we'll be back soon and we'll hang out all right take care man all right
1: and that's all the interview we had as the interview was broken up by the man we were doing the interview in their tour van and uh, i guess it was double parked so we ended up having to cut things short but it was really cool to have a chance to speak with liam really enjoyed the band's music and i hope you all dig it too uh, one thing to know their latest album Dead Set on Living was just re-released with a second bonus EP, which is the Bat-Sabbath Bastards of Reality Black Sabbath Covers EP. And it's really cool. Five Black Sabbath covers. It sounds great. And that's definitely the way to go if you're going to pick up this album. So check it out. All right. right. Let's check out another tune from that band. This is actually my favorite tune that I referenced in the interview. This from Dead Set on Living is Road Sick.
4: from cats and, bats and you're listening to the Bone Bat show.
1: Hey folks, once again this is Steve from the Bone Bat show and I'm here at Crypticon Seattle 2013 with one of my heroes, Joe Bob Briggs. How you doing, man? Cool. Doing all right.
2: How how I got to say here?
1: I'm thrilled to meet you. I, I think I mentioned this to you uh, my co-host Gordon and I uh, used to read your column every week in the Sacramento Bee. It just yeah, how many breasts, how many gallons of blood it was a fantastic way to read a review, and you had a big influence on us growing up. We're, now we're
2: hosting our own film festival, and I've got to
1: say a big thanks.
2: All right. Well, I appreciate that. That fine bastion of journalism, the Sacramento Bee. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was proud to be in the Sacramento Bee. <laughs>
1: Well, I wanted to say that uh, it used to be that kids went to the woods and party. Slashers and serial killers were there to teach them a lesson. But in 2013's Evil Dead remake, the kids are going to the cabin to detox their friend. Are you dismayed by the lack of aardvarking and tomfoolery in today's horror films? You know, there
2: wasn't a single naked breast in that remake. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the main the main thing that was screwed up about that thing is that it just wasn't that scary. They had all those millions of dollars create all those uh, horror set pieces. And uh, it just didn't really scare the crap out of you like the original one did. I mean, it's not like the original one had that much plot to begin with. You know, the zombies must rise. You know, that's the whole, that's the whole plot of the original movie. But, well, first of all, how do you make a remake of Evil Dead and leave out Ash? Hello? You know? <laughs> There was one character that everybody cared about in the original Evil Dead, right? Ash. Right. You know, they go to extraordinary lengths not to put Ash in the remake. So, like, right there shows you, like, what you're working with. Do you think that that's because Bruce
1: Campbell essentially was irreplaceable? How do you replace somebody who is that iconic?
2: You can replace anybody after 30 years. (laughs) And and come on, you know, I, I know they're probably saying, well, we might do... Evil Dead 4 sorry Bruce everybody gets old we're not gonna do that you know <laughs> if you do do it we're not gonna watch it probably you know no I love Bruce but I don't think holding out for for Evil Dead 4 is a reason not to put ash in the remake I saw that movie in whatever year it came out I was at one of the first screenings of it they showed it at the uh, Cannes Film Festival and I think the only two critics that were in the room were me and Rex Reed and uh, Rex Reed <laughs> Rex Reed liked it as much as I did the great thing about it was it was so elemental and people people don't understand today that as of 1982 there had only been like five zombie films in history right you know there was like White Zombie and, and, and one in the 40s that some French guy did and like maybe three others Night of the Living Dead you know but there was no such thing, really, as yeah, a zombie it wasn't film. A genre and yet, and right. Sam Raimi says, "I wanted to establish the, the the real zombie rules." Well, what zombie rules, Sam? Just make them up, you know, because you know, you know. But the great thing about that film that George Romero did not do is that there was only one way to kill the zombies: arms, legs, head. Everything had to go. Complete dismemberment. <laughs> Complete dismemberment. Absolutely. Which is really what made that film so appealing when it first came out. Even though, uh, you know, Sam Raimi was like stealing equipment from Michigan State or wherever (laughs) and doing the animation in his attic or whatever he did to make those zombies disintegrate and everything. It was ten times scarier than all this digital stuff they did with the remake in 2013. So as you can tell, I'm not a big fan of that movie.
1: Well, I'll jump ahead to a question, actually. Uh, have you ever seen a movie that did actually scare you? Is Evil Dead that film? Because you're you're pretty much no, a connoisseur of uh, the
2: grizzle and well, gore. It's true. There's not much that scares me. But I'll tell you, this this will be a surprising answer because there aren't even many people that like this film. But there was a film called Wolfen and I think, I don't know, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. I remember that, yeah. About the wolves roaming around the Bronx. And it was actually the first film that used the Steadicam. The Steadicam had just been invented. And they used the Steadicam to show wolf's eye view of these, these rabid wolves. Right, they, would, right. they would roam across the barren landscape of the worst part of the South Bronx in the <laughs> late 70s and early 80s. Or you find you know, train They're natural They were all trying to kill Albert Finney. Right. And uh, that movie scared the living crap out of me. I don't know why, but there's something about the steady cam and getting dizzy from the steady cam and the, the red wolf eyes and everything. And, I, and in the theater, if you watch it today on DVD, you probably won't be scared. But in the theater, that was extremely scary.
1: Nice. All right. You know, it's been dark times here in Seattle, Joe, Bob. In 2010, the Puget Park drive-in closed after 42 years. They just announced the Valley Six drive-in is closing after 45 years. I mean, what does this mean for the youth of today? Where are they going to go to grope each other and drink lukewarm beer?
2: All that means is it's too damn cold and too damn rainy in the Pacific Northwest. That doesn't mean anything about the future (laughs) of the drive-in. It's like... I, I admire somebody that held out for 45 years <laughs> in this kind of weather. I mean, drive-ins are kind of made for warm weather. I mean, that's not, it's not too surprising that you can't make a go. Drive-ins have like nine strikes against them to begin with because you got to have all this land, but you've you got to have all this land that's close to people, which means it's going to be expensive land, and then you gotta, you can only show the film once a day. Whereas an indoor theater can show it, what, nine times? They can start at 10.30 in the morning, show the film nine times. You know, you got one shot. People want to see it right at sundown. And, you know, to make a go of it, it takes deranged people to own these drive-ins and run them for years and give them to their grandchildren and everything. So the fact that they stayed open for all that time that's admirable. I'm sure in the 70s they were showing porn just to stay open, you know. <laughs> you know, you remember when they caused wrecks on the highway because people yeah, be driving by and they see the giant porn on the outdoor screen? That was because the drive-ins had to figure out some way to survive in the 70s. And that was the only way they could survive. But, um, no, it's it's sad, but there, there have actually been new drive-ins built and old drive-ins revived over the past 3 or 4 years and mostly it's not the you know grandchildren of of the uh, original founders of the drive-in it's new people who just love the drive-in there's a huge one in Texas there's a new one in Florida there's you know, but they do tend to be in warm weather, <laughs> warm weather places.
1: Well, that's great to hear. I, I did manage to get my kids to the drive-in a couple of times to experience that. So hopefully, uh, one day they'll live somewhere warm and be able to take their kids, and it'll continue on. Right. Speaking of the perils of uh, living in Seattle. In 1992, in an aside on Iraqi beer steins, you said bread and wine, wine and bread. That's all these guys want to talk about. It's like they spend all their time in Seattle or something. (laughs) Have you been able to get a decent meal since you've been here?
2: Um, Well, I've been mostly in the hotel since I've been here. I've been to Seattle several times. I have this really vivid memory of being in Seattle to do a book reading. Uh, This would be way back, like at least two decades ago. at a a really cool bookstore downtown and being here on the same day with hunter s thompson and hunter s thompson's last book was this just sort of this deranged series of snippets of essays that didn't make any sense that he just kind of jumbled together and published i can't remember the name of the book but anyway he was reading the same day that i was reading and my reading was a lot more coherent than his <laughs> reading. So I remember that very vividly. And I remember, you know, when you come into town to promote a book, they always schedule you to do radio interviews. And I would always, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend somebody when I say this, but they would always send me over to this public radio station at the University of Washington. Okay. And everyone would be nice to me when I got there. And then when I would go on the air... I don't want to say they were ultra liberal but they would they would read stuff out of my columns and say, "Now did you write this? What did you mean by that?" You know, and it must say, have been commies. in Bobby. in many in many, <laughs> case, in many cases I wouldn't be able to remember what it was that I had written or why I had written it because it would be from years ago. And they, "What what what are you people doing?" It's like, "How did I offend you?" You know, what what brings you to <laughs> assault me with the, and I would have these like sort of hostile interviews at the University of Washington and I would be totally unprepared for them uh, so I remember that and, and I've told I've told comedians this I've, I, I've told them I said now when you go to Seattle don't make a coffee joke they've heard all of those they've heard all, of those. They've heard all of those and rain jokes probably too and and if you make a coffee joke they're not going to like it anyway because they're proud of their coffee. And so, because I made that mistake like every time I went on TV in Seattle. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have made that coffee joke. I went for like the simplest thing you can do. And it's like, no, don't do that. They don't like that here. So.
1: Now, Joe Bob, you are, if nothing else, a practical man. And nothing is more simple and practical than the metric system. Do you see a day where you start rating movies by liters of blood instead of gallons?
2: No, I'm too damn old to do that. <laughs> it's like, I can't even drive in Europe, much less much less figure out liters of blood. So, no. You hear that, Gordon? You're barking up the wrong tree, my man. That's
1: from my co-host. He's a big fan of the metric system. All right, man. Well, uh, wrapping this up here, uh, three great drive-in flicks no one has seen. Go.
2: Three that no one has seen. I'm not that great on titles, but you know the, the 80s was the golden age of direct-to-video most of it crapola, I mean it was like I talked to a lot of um, young people who really romanticized the 80s and say, well I wish I lived in the 80s, I'm like, why? It's like, well because I love this, you know, all the movies that came out and I said, yeah 97% of them were crap, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? But in the 80s, because you could make a movie for $60,000, I mean today you can make a movie for $2,000, right. but you can make a movie for $60,000 on film, and a lot of people like Fred Olin Ray did do that. And so, there were extremely wildly inventive uh, plots on no-name movies, and, you know, movies that you, pr- you would probably only watch one time, but I'm thinking of Nightmare Sisters, which was the only movie that had Linnea Quigley, Michelle Bauer, and Brink Stevens, the three <laughs> acknowledged scream queens of the '80s. And um, then, if you go back, there's there's a film that I did uh, commentary for. I do the if you find the DVD, it has my commentary track on it, so you'll you'll see why it's a brilliant movie. Nice Warlock Moon. Okay, um, in the '70s is a really, really strange movie that virtually no one has ever seen. And then um, I, I always get them mixed up, Hells Angels on Wheels and Hells Angels 69. It's, it's Hells Angels 69. Hells Angels 69 starred the actual Hells Angels. Now, there were, there were a lot of movies about the Hells Angels. But Hells Angels 69, they tried to use the actual Hells Angels as actors.
1: And not in a live at Altamont sort of way. No, no, no. (laughs) They're
2: actually doing actor roles. And they have a major plot problem because they're filming the Hells Angels. And the Hells Angels are acting like Hells Angels. I mean, they're not acting like nice guys at all. And they're supposed to be the heroes of the movie. They're supposed to pull off this heist uh, in Las Vegas. But they're just so disgusting (laughs) that you can't ever identify with these guys who are, first of all, they're really bad actors, and then secondly, you know, they're beating people up, and and if you ever see that movie, it's kind of one of those strange, only in America kind of things that could happen between about 1968 and 1975 when all the rules were changing with movies, and so basically anybody who walked into a film executive's office with some new idea they would say yeah go shoot the son of a bitch yeah try it we don't know what works and so you have this great period in film history where you could make anything mm. and one of those movies was Hell's Angels 69 nice. uh, they were trying to they, they were saying forget that easy rider crap. we're the real motorcycle guys and so they make Hell's Angels 69 now shit's getting results. real yeah with mixed results you know
1: Alright, man well uh once again our last question we
2: always ask all of our guests here on the bone bat show joe bob what pisses you off a chorus line 1985 starring <laughs> michael douglas that really pissed me off thank you so much for joining us man it was an absolute pleasure all right glad to do it
1: and that my friends was john bloom joe bob
2: briggs
1: too too cool So are you saying that I screwed this up? It was not
3: the Sacramento Bee that we used to read? It
1: was the San Francisco Chronicle?
3: I believe Joe Bob was in the San Francisco Chronicle when we were reading him. I think that he was in the pink section, which was a San Fran Chronicle thing. It was not a Sac Bee thing. Because he did say he was happy to be in the Sacramento Bee. And he may have been in the Bee, too. He may have been in the Bee at one time. But I think when we read it, it was in the ping section.
1: Oh, my apologies then. I guess I got that one wrong.
3: But the man's probably been in 800,000 different publications. If I have keep track of all of them, I wouldn't fault him at all.
1: I have no doubt. Well, uh, Crypticon Seattle was over Memorial Day weekend, as it is every year. And uh, I went down Friday night. I had my first panel on Friday, which was uh, Metal in Horror. You're a a panelist now. You're
3: like a regular panelist. Yeah,
1: it's like people will actually show up and listen. And you know what was cool is this year, like, all of our panels were really well attended. And the Bone Bat Show after party for the Film Fest was packed. All right. Yes, it was great. You know, kick things off uh, with Brian Wolford's Myctophobia. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the comedy bent, so it it didn't get huge laughs or anything like that. But it was definitely
3: well-received. Then yeah, that we, was when we couldn't play in the film fest. We just did not have room, so I'm glad we uh, gave him a little exposure, so to speak. And I'm not just talking about the time you dropped your pants in front. Of
1: him. No, I mean yeah, we wanted to make that right. Then following that we had Structure Kill, Mr. Bear, No Santa from Saturday morning breakfast cereal. All of those got great laughs. But uh, then Familiar played. With the fantastic short from Fatal Pictures, and I got to say, it was a little bit of a room clearer, man. The people,
3: (laughs) the people weren't up. Was it too long for them?
1: No, I think the people with the uh, more sensitive constitutions started walking out. We lost five, six, seven people after that short. But uh, what was cool was it immediately filled back in. We showed Twisted right after it. It was pretty funny because Twisted plays, and at the end, like everything goes silent. And somebody in the audience goes, was that it? <laughs> I'm like, yep, pretty much. What and then, else do you want? Right. So then we come back with the second disc. We hit a Smush, which got a lot of laughs. Oh, and good. then just the murderer's row, man. Tune for two. Suck of blood, which got an even stronger reception, I thought, at this than it did at our own fest, which was very, very cool. Following that, of course... Was a Hungry Hickory, Meat, and Killer Cart. All three of those just absolutely killed. So it boom, was boom, a boom. lot of fun. And the uh, Saturday morning cartoon party was really well received as well. Uh, we played Alma and Baby It's You from the film festival. And mm. uh, I was able to get a hold of Henrik Clausen, who's the director of a short called ETA. Now you may remember this short. It's the alien-themed animated short, and I don't want to spoil it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put a link to that. We got permission to show it at the festival. We might even show it next year at Bone bat again, since I've spoken to the guy now. We have a contact. But uh, just a fantastic short. I really enjoy it. And that was a lot of fun. On top of that, we had some secret stuff from my stash. People really they got a lot of laughs. A lot of people say, no way, I haven't seen this in a long time. So it's also really well-received, so that was fun. Nice. nice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Panel-wise, I was on a uh, horror and metal panel, which I kind of—I don't know—I misinterpreted really what that panel was about, and so I came with all these notes about like metal tunes that were scary or horror-based. And I think what they were really looking for was like horror movies that had metal in them. Huh, well. So, so yeah, I was—I kind of missed the boat on that one. But uh, the other two panels I did were that grindhouse feeling. Which was just a really cool discussion about grindhouse cinema and exploitation cinema and how it came from like its heydays in the '70s and '80s to where we are today, and that was really fun. Uh, Tony K was on that panel, T.J. Nordiker, and uh, James Beach from Dark Discoveries Magazine. That was a lot of fun, and then uh, the other panel I did was introducing kids to horror, which obviously I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Over, you know, since my kids were born, so. The, all three of those were just kind of fun panels that were right in my So, so was that like just
3: terrorizing random children?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, You cool. know, when is the right time to show your child Caligula?
3: You know, that sort of thing. Huh. I think they meant horror, not
1: whore. Oh, okay. I, I get the two confused all the time. <laughs> or horse,
3: as the case may be.
1: But, uh, you know, some of the highlights from Crypticon this year uh, that I'd like to talk about just real quickly... Now, the guys from Myth, Eric Morgret, who uh, also does the uh, programming for Crypticon, and uh, Kelly Young, and the rest of the folks who work on Myth did a short called The Shunned House. It's an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft. Really great short, dude. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Won Best Adaptation at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and I got to see it in a full audience. Really fun. It was such a good short. Uh, Totally enjoyed it. That was definitely a highlight of the fest. Uh, Also, Tony Kay, who I just mentioned on the uh, Grindhouse panel, did a horror trivia game,
2: which was totally fun.
1: It was basically like where big celebrities got their starts in what horror movies. And so you would go down the line, and you'd read them off, and you'd write them off on a piece of paper, and he'd make jokes while he was doing it. And it was just a really good time. I loved that. Uh, Additionally, Saturday night, they had a zombie prom. A prombie. Yes, exactly, and so uh, it was kind of cool because Julie and I don't get out dancing all that often, and so we got to dance a little bit. And the kids were having a good time. They had a costume contest and some cake, and uh, it was just really a cool way to end the day. There was a lot of people in there having drinks and dancing. And it was it was a good time. I really enjoyed that as well.
3: you were a prom advocate, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then that the final thing that night was a uh, Julie Hoverson, who's been a great supporter of. Uh, Bone Bat Show and the Bone Bat Film Festival. Indeed. Uh, Her podcast, 19 Nocturne Avenue, they did a live radio show of the H.P. Lovecraft story, Dreams in the Witch House. And so I caught about half of that. And that was totally fun to watch them work. Because they had like a guy doing Foley, you know, making some sounds of like doors opening and closing. And people were crumpling up paper at the right time in the story. And it was just really fun to watch, you know, Basically, an audio drama come to life.
3: Watch a legitimate podcast operation.
1: Exactly. I'd never seen anything like like. that before from my experience. So to see Audio Professionals work was a rare treat. I had to bail on that to go get my daughter out of the prom, but I thought that that was really cool. (laughs) It is already available online. So I would absolutely say to check that out. I'll put a link to that, too, on our homepage. Right on. Uh, a couple other fun things. I saw a documentary called Adjust Your Tracking, which yeah. was uh, co- only caught about half of it. It's a documentary about people who still collect VHS tapes.
3: Those people exist?
1: Yeah, because there were a ton of movies that were like shot on video and released on video that have never and probably will never be released anywhere else. And there's still this huge collector's
3: market for that.
1: And uh, one of the things, like, there's a film that went for, like, $660 on eBay last year. Not
3: 666
1: it, You know, that's what the guy bid, and it didn't meet his uh, final bid. But, yeah, that, that was absolutely it. So it was a very interesting, you know, documentaries about, like, fan subcultures are most of the time pretty interesting. Yeah. Because I've seen them about, you know, LARPers and different things like that. And it's it's always kind of cool. And this was no exception. A really fun, well-edited, cool documentary. So I would say if you see it playing a local festival or if it pops up on cable at some point, absolutely worth a watch.
3: Uh, Might be on Netflix. Who
1: knows? Yeah, at some point it probably will be. Uh, And then, uh, of course, one of my favorite perennial panels at Crypticon has been like the great horror films you've never seen panels. Yeah. And this year, a Julie Hoverson... Mark Rahner and Ronnie Angel were the hosts of this year's edition. And uh, again, I got just a ton of cool suggestions of like stuff that's currently streaming on Netflix. There's probably 15 films I have not seen that I'm going to be checking out, including the first of which we watched on Monday, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, one of the last Hammer films. And that was a lot of fun. It's streaming on Netflix right now. So I would say check that out.
3: Wow. You are a veritable fountain of knowledge.
1: It was a great time, dude. If you're a horror fan in the Northwest, you need to come to CryptoCon. And this year, I mean, it was so busy. The dealer room was constantly packed with people buying stuff and getting their picture taken. They had a makeup contest. They had people who were, like, doing songs from Rocky Horror Picture Show live. There's just all kinds of activities going on constantly for three days. And it's really a cool way to just immerse yourself in something you love. And my family was great. You know, uh, my wife and my son had not gone before, so this was their first time. And my daughter could just live there. She has a great time, you know, just <laughs> checking it all out. So it's definitely a fantastic time. They're getting better and better each year and uh, really looking forward to next year's already. It's going to be great.
3: Got it.
1: Why don't we wrap up our Crypticon discussion with our interview with Cassandra Peterson?
3: Yes. Well, here it is.
1: Once again, this is Steve at Seattle Crypticon 2013, and I am so fortunate to be chatting with Cassandra Peterson, Elvira herself. How are you
5: doing? I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: It is so cool to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here.
5: You're welcome. I'm happy to. i
1: got, <laughs> I got a question for you. Now, you've been mistress of the dark for a really long time. Are you happy yeah. with the relationship, or do you hope that one day the dark will pop the question?
5: Uh, I'm happy with the relationship the way it is now. I like to keep things kind of loose. You know, so, um, yeah, So, well, I'm just going to keep going on just like I am for the next 30 years or so. Nice. Now, by my
1: count, you've hosted over 160 films in your horror hosting career. And uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about your work is that you come to it from a comedy writer improv background. Were there any films that you were preparing for where you're like, oh, this is comedy gold. We're going to kill
5: this one. Well, the the crappier the film, the more comedy gold it is. I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, sometimes you get a film that just does not lend itself to humor, and then you have to go off on a whole tangent, not even talking about the film and do something else. You know, right. but but the the crappier the film, yes, the funnier it, it always is. Like something like Plan Nine from Outer Space, that's comedy gold. Something like uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is not comedy gold because they've already made all the jokes in there and you don't have anywhere to go. You know what
1: I'm saying? Certainly. Now, was there an original Movie Macabre couch and do you have it?
5: Uh, There was an original Movie Macabre couch. I do have it. Nice. And the, the really wacky thing about that couch is that uh, the studio, the local station where I first started, was renting that couch because they uh, obviously the prop guy thought that the show wouldn't last longer than a couple weeks. And they rented that for five years. And that, by my estimation, that couch is worth around uh, $26,000. <laughs> Uh, I bought it for $350, so I got quite a deal.
1: At the end of the shoot? Yes. Very nice. Very, That's very cool.
5: World's most expensive, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you got a sweet deal.
5: I got a sweet, sweet deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, everybody is aware of your 1988 film, Mistress of the Dark, but... As champions of independent film and hosts of our own independent film festival, we know what challenges there are in making your own independent film. And you did just that with Elvira's Haunted Hills. I did.
5: Shoot me.
1: Are you at the point where you can look back and laugh yet?
5: No. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever look back and laugh about that. That was one of the most grueling, horrifying, terrifying uh, things in my entire life. Knowing that your own money is on the line, you're in Romania where they have no uh, none of the equipment or the props or anything you need, and uh, having the movie produced, uh, your, your, your producing partner be your ex-husband. Uh, not a good scenario, the whole oh, wow. thing. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, I think that drove the nail in uh, uh, the coffin of our marriage for sure. So, anyway, yeah, no, I, 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 it'll be a while until I can laugh about that. Maybe never. <laughs>
1: okay. In
5: 2010,
1: you revived Movie Macabre with 20 new episodes featuring public domain
5: films. Was your
1: approach different this time?
5: Um, It was different. We were trying to make it a little more hip and groovy and uh, edgy. And uh, I I got a new writer who I started working with who I absolutely adore, a man named Ted Biaselli. And um, I I think it was a little, maybe a little bit uh, saucier and edgier and... uh, we did a lot of things that we couldn't afford to before and we had the time and the money we didn't really have the time and the money again I was producing it myself which I don't know what I was thinking (laughs) but um, we were able to bring in some actors that I could work with and and do a lot more uh just expand the little vignettes it's in between. The little mini plots almost. Yeah, we almost yeah, have little for, plot every, for each, the up, movie. each film, which was kind of cool. Right, which come in really handy when the movie sucks. <laughs> and, not, and not sucks in a good way, but right. sucks in a bad way. So, yeah, we did all kinds of things that I always wished I could do but didn't have the time or the money. Okay. Are there any films that you
1: have always had kind of your eye on that, wow, I'd love to host that one one day, that'd be fun?
5: Yeah, Plan 9 from Outer Space. But, you know, we tried really hard to get it for this uh, series that I did and could not get it, man. Somebody owns it and they just aren't giving it out for the right amount of money, (laughs) but not the amount of money I could afford. But that would be my ultimate gem. I just love that movie to death. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any plans to do more moving, Nicole? Um, Not at this moment. I would love to do it again, but if I do it again, I would definitely have somebody else pay for it. Somebody to to pick it up. Okay. <laughs> somebody else pick up the tab. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. You no,
1: know, I was, you know, looking over Twitter as I'm wont to do, and I, I saw this. Keep an eyeball out for a couple of groovy new Halloween tunes from me and my bud Fred Schneider.
5: Yeah. More info, please. Mm. Well, not really supposed to. Are you going to be airing this right away? Uh, okay.
1: A week from tomorrow. Woo!
5: Okay, well, I do have. Whatever you can say. I do have two songs coming out with Fred Schneider, wrote them both, from the B52, I know I love him. And he wrote some really funny songs and produced these. And um, they're coming out. I, I, I'm going to have to tell you that the, the titles are. Okay, I'm going to tell you the titles because they're just too funny. They're um, The 13 Nights of Halloween, which I love, of course. Classic. Going. But the other one is called My Two Big Pumpkins. <laughs> nice. So I think people are going to enjoy those. I think we uh, will. The Two Big Pumpkins. Anyway. We, will, we yeah. will keep an ear out for that. Thank you. This Halloween? Oh, yeah. It'll be out yeah. with just in a, in a few weeks. Um, so I'll be doing a little press thing about it then. Fantastic. You've got the, uh, you got the edge on it. There's the yeah. scoop.
1: All right. Eat. Our final question. We always ask all of our guests on the show, <laughs> Cassandra, what pisses you off?
5: this interview pretty much uh, I have (laughs) that effect on
1: people it's weird yeah
5: you know I'm I'm really mad now yeah having really really loud music playing right next to you when you're doing an autograph session that really oh I'm telling you yeah my throat is gone I can't hear Uh, Anyway. All right. well I will let you rest your throat thank Thank
1: you so much for spending time with me we really appreciate it
5: you're welcome that's fun thank you Hello, oh, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show. Ooh, I like it.
1: Once again, thank you so much to Cassandra Peterson for joining us on the show and Joe Bob Briggs. That was just a dream come true for a horror fan like myself, so uh, i got to say nothing but thanks. Following that, we had the Cancer Bats once again with Harem of Scorpions from their 2008 CD, Hail Destroyer. There'll be another tune from that one in a little while. It's a great album. Uh, also, wanted to mention one last thing. So the uh, independent sequel that Elvira made that we talked about in the interview, you can currently pick that up on Amazon for two ninety nine. I think is a rental or seven ninety nine to buy it. So definitely worth your time. It's really fun, uh, especially if you liked the first one, or even if you're not really familiar with her cinematic work, but. You uh, like a movie like Transylvania 6-5000, like a silly horror thing. This is a lot of fun. It's kind of a love letter to the old Roger Corman, Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe films. That's once again, is Elvira's Haunted Hills. So, dude. Yeah. Got a political rant this week?
3: Oh, God. I don't know. Do I have a political rant this week? You know, sometimes I, I like, prepare, maybe write down some notes and think about it, and I say something really eloquent and thought-provoking. Not this week. This week is just a group of disorganized thoughts all thrown into a blender and poured into a stinking, filthy ashtray for your consumption. First of all, what, we're up to four U.S. citizens now that have been killed by drones in Obama's uh, version of the war on terror. And we've got him investigating whole swaths of the journalistic community in the name of the war on terror. And when bush was doing this kind of crap anybody that spoke up and said hey maybe this isn't good no no you weren't supporting the president so you weren't supporting the troops and you were with the terrorists so now all the folks all the republicans that said that when they try to talk about how this is wrong it it just doesn't come out with any kind of force of conviction because they pretty much have to eat their own words in order to criticize the president but i've criticized this kind of shit for a long time so i'm going to go out there and say this is bullshit Knock it off. Who's he got investigating the Justice Department? Oh, it's the Justice Department. Eric Holder, go investigate yourself and come back if you find anything. <laughs> nope, I'm <He's>, clean. <laughs> nope, nope, I look. It's all good. If you don't like it, you're with the terrorists. <laughs> why pisses you, me off. Why do
1: you hate America, Gord? Why do you
3: hate America? Eat your freedom fries. And are you still beating your wife? <laughs> it's just it's so sad that we thought that there was going to be a change every president it doesn't matter who going forward every president loves to use the excesses of power used by his predecessor it doesn't matter how much you criticize it once you get that power you you don't let it go you are just like alone. every president wants the line item veto but the party not in power the line item veto is the worst thing in the world it'll end democracy as we know it but as soon as that party's in power Oh, man, we want the line item veto. We need it. We got reasons. No, you don't ever have reasons. You don't get it. It's not the way it works. Fuck it. Once you have power, you are loath to relinquish it. That's right, because it's a hard job. So you use all the tools at your disposal, even those illegit tools you may have stolen out of the back of your neighbor's van. (laughs) God damn it. That's my political rant. They'll piss me off.
1: All right, well, let's uh, check out another tune from Dead Set on Living by the Cancer Bats. This is old blood.
2: This is Joe Bob Briggs, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show.
1: Once again, the cancer bats with old blood.
3: So, dude. Yes. Multimedia triage. Multimedia triage. You know, I've been reading a lot of garbage, I admit it. So, I tried to read something that you're supposed to read. There are certain books, especially as a guy, there are certain authors, especially as a guy, you're kind of supposed to read you're supposed to read Elmore Leonard because of the way he tells a story. And those stories, they don't always go somewhere, but they're always well told. You're supposed to read Hemingway. because That was the, exactly the, the next name I was going to throw
1: out there. Hemingway, you're right. Because it is right and good and honorable.
3: <laughs> oh, well said, sir. And there's other ones you're, you're kind of supposed to read. As a guy, you know what? You're supposed to read some Stephen King. You're supposed to read... Hunter Thompson. you got to read Fear and Loathing of Las Vegas, if nothing else. And a lot of these guys will go back and reference Charles Bukowski as somebody who influenced them. The people that really use language well, they reference Charles Bukowski. And so I went, all right, I'm going to read Charles Bukowski. And I read Ham on Rye*. You know what? I didn't like it. It was like J.D. Salinger, but ugly. Like J.D. Salinger... Tries to write Last Exit to Brooklyn or something. It was just, it wasn't a bad, you know, it wasn't bad. I'm not saying it was bad, but it was, wasn't enjoyable. Didn't really go anywhere. Maybe there was more to it, some like meta story that I'm just not bright enough to get. But I can't say I enjoyed Ham on Rye. And it, it just seems like one of those things I should have enjoyed. Was Ham on Rye prose or poetry? It was prose. Uh, you know, I suppose he did flirt with some poetic, uh, Pros and there were parts that did make me laugh, but it was just a little too—I don't know. Uh, you're going to
1: piss. You're going to piss our friend Bill off. He is a big Bukowski
3: fan. Is he? See, uh, there are a lot of people whom I respect who think Bukowski's great. Maybe I need to read another book, but that one did not do it for me. Okay. So then you know I went. Did I read? I read a, a book right off the bestsellers list. Gone Girl, and I was fully expecting not to like this one, and it was a great book. Have you read this one? No, I have not. It's by Gillian Flynn, or Jillian Flynn, by Gif Jif, I don't know. <laughs> it's by Jeff. It's by Jeff Flynn, <laughs> and it's a story, It you got to get past the first bit of the book, because this husband in a, uh, probably what would be considered a failing marriage, comes home to find his wife. Is gone, the house is thrashed, it looks like there's been some abduction. And then it tells his story. And then the next chapter is reading a chapter out of her diary. And her diary starts like three, four years before this thing that's happened in the house. And so you read him and then her and him and then her. And it starts out, you think, wow, this guy's just kind of a vapid ass. And she is just a, oh, she's one of those girls you just hate. She's just so chirpy and dingy and happy and ee, as you read her diary i thought ah, there's no way i'm gonna be able to read this book but no you gotta read the book there's more going on than meets the eye the more you read it, the more you go oh damn it's a good book gone girl check it out okay cool so uh yeah been reading books you know what else i've been doing what's that playing video games yeah yeah bioshock infinite i believe you're playing that as well you you played it you finished i finished it yeah yeah like, that's a fun game that's an original idea
1: i love the world that they've created there where you are just immersed in this total other reality that is so very different you know i mean when you first enter columbia isn't it like it reminds you of disneyland yeah yeah like, It's like this clean, pristine, perfect utopia. And then you start... (laughs) racist. Just like Disneyland. And you start... Oh, not really. Don't sue us, Disneyland. And you start seeing the cracks in the facade. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I mean, as far as first-person shooters go, very smooth, very fun to play. You have a lot of weapons to play with, although I didn't find myself playing with that many. I liked the shotgun a lot. I like. Oh,
3: yeah. I I like the burst gun... I like the volley gun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of guns. I maybe used three guns overall for the most of the game, and you have a dozen to play with. And some of them are just kind of, ah, the 44 Magnum.
3: Blah. I did Yeah, pistols don't even bother.
1: But uh, definitely fun stuff. The sniper rifle, of course, I'm always a big fan of. And then you've got this hook thing that allows you to fly over the city on wires. And that was pretty badass.
3: Yeah, just, these, these rails that are set up over the city and you just grab onto and just that track all over
1: feeling of motion and it's it's very well they do a good job of i mean you're stuck on a rail but you have options so it doesn't feel like you're necessarily being just guided into the next place you know what i mean yeah and i just i I thoroughly enjoyed that game i thought it was great i thought elizabeth who is your your kind of counterpart and sidekick throughout
3: most of the game is fantastically well realized She's, oh my god! It's like the first game where you've got a sidekick that you're carting around that doesn't suck all the life out of you. It's nice. And she, she contributes. Yeah, but you'll like do shit, and
1: she'll like like kind of glare at you or or kind of smirk at your when you screw something up. It. She definitely has personality, and that's what makes it so fun. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, Gordon's not there yet, but the ending is totally big and thoughtful and mind-bending, and. It's the kind of thing that you can kind of philosophize about after the fact. So, one of my favorite games the last couple of years. I really enjoyed it. I'd say check it out.
3: Yeah, for sure. And on the other end of the spectrum, cheap little throwaway game, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it, Poker Night 2, where you're playing uh, Texas Hold'em, but you're playing against Ash from Evil Dead. You're playing against Claptrap from Borderlands. You're playing against... Uh, Sam of Sam and Max. Oh, that's you know, fun. The big dog. And you're playing against the Bodyguard Adventure Brothers, Brock Sampson. <laughs> and who's the dealer? Gladys from Portal. and Portal I'm 2. Kidding.
1: Oh, that's funny. I remember Poker Night 1. It had, uh, I want to say, Gabe and Tycho from Penny Arcade and some other I yeah, never played so that
3: one. I think I played the demo, but I never actually bought it. This is cool. There's some unlocks. There's enough dialogue that you don't get sick of the jokes. You know, right off the bat, I've played it a number of times, and I I keep stumbling into fresh stuff. And uh, it's nice that I can play Texas Hold'em and not be losing real money. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Yeah, so that's that's worthwhile. That's something to check out. And speaking of Xbox Live Arcade, mentioned it last show. Been playing some Battle Block Theater. We finally got to the end of the game, my kid and I, and uh, probably the most surreal, epic ending. Even more surreal and epic than the ending of uh, Castle Crashers, but with the catchiest song, the song is so catchy that for the last like three days, somebody in my house has constantly singing "Buckle your pants." <laughs>
5: <laughs> nice. you, go,
3: you go to the dinner table, somebody's going "Buckle your pants, buckle buckle your pants." <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, we've we've only played it a little bit. I think Thor has played it more than I have, but we'll we'll get there eventually.
3: Yeah, then you'll have to buckle your pants. So, did you get out to the movie theater recently? Yeah, I saw Star Trek, The Wrath of Sherlock. <laughs> What'd you think? I loved
1: it. Now, no, I remember fun movie. you. You were pissing and moaning about the, the first Star Trek, the bad science with the yeah. dark matter, red matter, blobby matter.
3: Yeah, the black hole um, enema that you can put in your pocket and it also does your dishes or whatever. You hated
1: shit that shit. So you came around and you liked the Star
3: Trek. Well, they made a Star Trek that didn't suck. That's why I liked the Star Trek.
1: <laughs> the last one didn't suck either. Enterprise coming fun. up
3: out of the ocean. That was such a cool scene. <laughs> All their little fun winks and nods, this previous episodes, The Wrath of Khan and others. It was just a big fun movie. I highly recommend
1: it. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. And I, again, I reiterate that I love how the actors have nailed the characters, you know? Like just the the relationships between them and how they act, even though they are actually different people in a different universe. Mm-hmm. They're still the characters that we know and love, and it's absolutely fun to see JJ Abrams play with all the toys.
3: Yeah, and he's, he doesn't entirely bind himself to canon, which is nice. I think that's courageous and, and well done. Mm-hmm. But still, Kirk doing uh, two girls at the same time, both of whom <laughs> have tails. That was a nice little. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So did you go see Iron Man 3? No, I wanted to. I just couldn't get around to it. I will intend on it.
1: I liked that one as well. Uh, we saw that on opening weekend. And... Uh... I have to say, I have a little bit of the same problem that I had with Dark Knight Rises in that it's kind of a lot of Tony Stark and not a lot of Iron Man, Hmm. or at least it feels that way over its running time, but it's got some clever twists and turns that you don't usually expect in a comic book movie, and the end is just a big, eye-popping, block-busting, exploding mess. The kind of thing that you love to see and throw down some popcorn while watching. So I would absolutely say, see it in a theater. You don't want to wait for a film like this or Star Trek Into Darkness and see that at home on a TV. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. But uh, yeah, both the films I liked a lot.
3: And I finally uh, went and saw, went and saw, went to my living room and turned on the TV and saw a really fun piece of fan fiction called Zero Dark Thirty. (laughs)
1: <laughs> now, why do you call Zero Dark Thirty fanfic? Well, because you know,
3: it's, <laughs> there's just no way that's really what happened. But uh, nonetheless, it was a cool movie and it, it was worthwhile. And the actress—I don't even, can't even remember her name—she really did do a great job. So that's that's worth checking out. If you just look at it as a, a piece of fan fiction and don't try to believe that it's uh, historical fiction.
1: I want to go deeper. God forbid, Uh,
3: documentary.
1: Go deeper, though. Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that it couldn't possibly have gone down that way? I haven't seen the film yet. Now I have seen HBO was running a doc on how they found uh, Bin Laden. Yeah. And so I have seen that doc, but I haven't seen this film. So why? In the documentary, was there
3: one agent that did nothing but search for Bin Laden from the time she got out of high school? No, there was a whole team. Okay, there you go. Because this movie is essentially her story, but she doesn't exist.
1: Right. She is an amalgam of like three or four agents right
3: Yeah, but they they did put a lot of, you know, documented events into the movie and wove it all together really, really masterfully. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would see it, yeah. And I finally saw Silver Linings uh, Playbook. That was a fun little mess of crazy right there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We saw oh. it,
3: too, and we were just kind of, what the
1: fuck? Really?
3: Oh, really? I had no expectations for that movie, and I was thoroughly amused. I loved how fucked up the dad was. He's, he's <laughs> like, so OCD, and he's got to have his kid there to watch the game with the remotes all in the right positions so so the Eagles don't lose. I when, it, when everyone's, like, doing their own crazy at the same time, that's when that movie really shined, I thought.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think Julie was wanting kind of just a light romantic comedy, and we got this weird thing. That was oh, a, no, I, no. Sort no. of not that. And, I mean, it was entertaining, and it was well acted, but I have no need to ever see that film again.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those movies where you you're debating if you're watching a comedy or watching a tragedy. <laughs> because yeah, it was absolutely. really pretty messed up which is perfect for me. One last
1: film I'd like to talk about uh, is a film that's currently streaming on Netflix called Devil's Rock, directed Isn't by Paul... is that what you call your penis? That is what I call it. But th- in this case, we're talking about something else. Uh, oh. Devil's Rock was directed by Paul Campion, who was the director of Eel Girl,
3: mm. the short
1: you may have recognized from our first Bone Bat Film Festival. Yes. And he has pulled together a very cool little film. Now, it's a World War II movie about a couple of New Zealand commandos who have been sent to the Channel Islands to take out uh, German gunnery emplacement. And they get there to the island, and things are not as they seem. They enter this bunker, and they find blood and body parts everywhere, and it's the remains of this Nazi occult project. Uh-oh. And I'm not going to go any further beyond that, other than to say it's got roughly five gallons of blood two demon breasts arms nice. limbs nazi foo. steve says check it out
3: i was gonna ask if there was any food i'm glad there's food
1: definitely nazi foo. and oh yeah the one other thing is uh my daughter and i attended i mentioned that we went to the cancer bat show so i talk about that a little bit uh last month we went and saw queller talk now Talk is this Norwegian, I guess you'd call them like a death and roll band. They have a lot of the, they're heavy and they're hard and they sing about metallic subjects, but they're much more kind of accessible than like hardcore metal. They have a rock and roll feel to them, but they sing in Norwegian. I tell you what though, if they sing in English, they'd be the next ACDC. Really? Because the songs are so fucking catchy, man. Just really great stuff. And their shows are a triumph of substance over style. It's just a bunch of dudes, six guys, three guitarists, man, playing in front of huge stacks of orange amps and just wrecking the joint with great music.
3: Sounds like the Scorpions.
1: And in addition to that, they had a a local opening act called Crop that was kind of a power trio with a very clutch-like sound. So they were fun, a little bit samey over their their songs became a little repetitive. But uh, they kind of picked things up on the last tune with a little bit of a Motorhead vibe. And it was a lot of fun to listen to them. I'm sure they're going to continue to grow and, uh, you know, turn out some good music. Then secondly, we had Black Tusk from Savannah, Georgia. And these guys were just insane-o fun to watch. They're also a trio. And the bassist is like flinging his bass around his neck on its uh, strap. And it's just like orbiting his body half the time while he's playing. It was amazing. And they're playing just this awesome wrecking music and bouncing around the stage. Totally energetic. Totally fun. Big smiles on their faces. And uh, then you got Cancer Bats, who's like just basically a wall of sound. It's like being attacked by hornets or something. Huh. Liam's doesn't sound like fun, actually. Nah, Liam's all over the stage. And again, like I said in the interview, what's cool about this bill is is, you know, you go to a lot of metal shows and everybody's glowering and looking very serious. And everybody, every band was having a great fucking time. They were smiling, having a blast, running around on stage. The audience was loving it. It was just so much fun to watch. And then you got Queller Talk, who just wrecked the joint afterwards. Very cool. Now, I had a couple of net picks. Uh, they didn't play the There's this long building intro to their new album. And I was really wanting to see how that played live, and they cut it out, which sucked. And uh, they didn't wear the big owl helmet that the singer wears on stage sometimes, so I was bummed about that. But other than that, it was just a fantastic show, a lot of fun, and if you get a chance to see them, please do yourself a favor and go see them. Like I said, I took my daughter, and it was just a really cool rock and roll show for her to see. She had a great time. You know, she listens to a lot of kind of I don't know, poppy, metallic stuff and things like that. And this was a different type of music for her to check out, and she had a great time. So it was really cool to, you know, show her that, a, a different genre a little bit. Well, nice. And uh, that's pretty much it for triage, I think, unless you've got something else. No, nah, we triaged the hell out of this thing. All right, why don't we wrap things up with a little bone bat News piece. This week's lone item is from Mike Gilmore of Hunab Coup, who we played all the way back in episode 11. He has teamed up with Chicago musician James Scudder for a new project called Messages in Light, which is an electronic music project, kind of sci-fi themed. Evidently, it's based on a robotic sci-fi sort of a story. They've got a video out called Silicone Silhouette that kind of has a anime vibe to it, but some of their graphics also sort of have a Alex Gray look to them as well. So it's very much a kind of a cohesive... Animation music project all in one. Very cool stuff. On May 10th, they released their album, which is called Para 1111. And the album is Name Your Price on Bandcamp right now. So you can find that at messagesinlight.bandcamp.com. Very cool, very trippy. Check it out. All right. All right. Well, why don't we uh, do some filthy jokes and get out of here? Okay. Let's do some filthy jokes. Are you starting or am I starting? I can start. You Actually, you know, we talk about independent music acts and stuff quite a bit. So uh, what's the difference between a major record label and a gynecologist? I don't know. What's what's the difference between a major record label
3: and a gynecologist?
1: A major record label fucks their singers. A gynecologist, a gynecologist sings their fuckers? Sucks their fingers.
3: <laughs> 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 I Really? I had to walk you to that one? I guess so. I guess I didn't think the gynecologists actually stick <laughs> <sat> their fingers. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I'll I'll take the blame for that
1: one. <laughs> You're laughing though.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm laughing at though. All right, so a guy walks into this uh this pub. And he says, uh, I'd "Like a pint," and the bartender goes, "All right." Um, get a pint that's uh that's one penny i was like wow really penny yeah well what's the catch no no catch whatever beer you want you got imports we've uh, got stuff on draft whatever domestic oh, i don't care one penny for a pint oh all right i'll take a pint then so he gets a pint of beer and he goes oh you know uh i kind of got the the munchies here you got any like uh bar food any uh any wings or anything like that he's like yeah yeah you want a plate of wings? Got a big old plate of uh, spicy buffalo wings. It's going to be two pennies. I say, Wait, no, really? Plate of wings for two pennies? Yeah, two pennies. You get a whole plate of wings. Oh, great. Give me some wings. So the guy is drinking his beer and eating his wings and watching the game. He says, you know, actually, I, I'm, I'm actually really hungry. Can I get a full-on meal here? He goes, oh, yeah, you get a meal. We've got a great steak dinner. That's a special tonight. Oh, tell me about the steak dinner. Well, you get a two pound steak, you get a baked potato, you get a side salad, and uh, you get a dessert any dessert you want. We got pie, we got cake, I think we got some tiramisu, whatever the hell that is. Three pennies. Wow. Three pennies? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, set me up. Give me So he's, he's drinking his beer, eating his wings, eating his meal. And he's, how do you do this? I mean, I don't understand your business plan here. How can you do this? And the guy goes, Well, I don't know. I just work here. You'd have to ask the owner. So, well, where's the owner? Well, the owner's uh, down the street in the hotel with my wife. (laughs) uh, What's he doing with your wife? He goes, that's the same thing I'm doing to his business. (laughs)
4: Then
3: he sucked his
1: fingers. (laughs) Nice. All right. Thank you. This episode, we would like to again thank Liam from the Cancer Bats for sharing the great music and the interview. Also, Ear Split PR for putting that all together. I'd like to thank, once again, all the Bone Bat Film Festival filmmakers whose shorts played once again at the CryptoCon after party. That was a great time, and thank you so much for allowing us to do that. Also, I would like to thank Elvira Cassandra Peterson, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, Eric Morgrette, and Mickey from Crypticon, as well as all of my fellow panelists and the Crypticon staff for making this year's con so much damn fun. And also thanks to my enormously enthusiastic and patient family who joined me on this experience.
3: <laughs> I have nobody or, to thank so for all those people. Thank you. Thank you for entertaining Steve.
1: Yeah, one of these years you'll have to, I don't know.
3: I know. You, uh, normally I go camping on this weekend. Yeah, I did not do that this year. Yeah, that's the one thing. We will not get into it. The
1: one thing about it, I wish it wasn't a holiday weekend because you kind of feel like, you know, I don't know. But at least I'm doing it with my family. So that yeah. sort of, you know, makes it better because we, we stayed overnight in a hotel and the kids got to swim in the pool and all that stuff. So we kind of made an event out of it, a mini staycation type of a thing.
3: And I, that's the way to do it, I think. Except I don't ever want to hear you say the words mini-staycation again.
1: Okay, I'll I'll try to avoid that.
3: God, what is this, a tampon commercial?
1: (laughs) Our usual bullshit. The show number is 425-296-6557 or you can email us to steve at bonehand.com We got new uh, content on bonehand.com all the time including the heavy half hour occasionally on non-Bone Bat Weeks there will be one uh, next week. Also We've got a Facebook page. You can follow the Bone bat Show on Facebook. You
3: can. I sometimes post funny stuff there. I'm a funny guy. And you know what? I do a funny cartoon every Thursday. Okay, the cartoon isn't funny every Thursday, but I put a new cartoon up every Thursday at MightyWombat.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mighty underscore
1: Wombat. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm Bonehand Over There, or we also have a Bone Bat feed. Uh, additionally, thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do, please tell a friend. Because the next episode is going to be another jam-packed extravaganza. We've got the best of Nerdcore Now's Vocalist Producer Challenge number two next episode. So a bunch of great new Nerdcore music, which you will dig. Additionally. I've got several Grindhouse films that we're going to be reviewing. Uh, i got reviews of Dustin Mills' Easter Casket. I'm sending you. I've got an extra copy of that for you, so don't let me forget. Okay, uh, don't forget. TJ Nordiker and Andy Signore's The Janitor and Astron 6's new one, Manborg. So we're going to talk up the Grindhouse films next. Multimedia triage. So please join us. In closing this episode is Hail Destroyer, the title song from... 2008 album in the same name by the Cancer Bats. Hope you dig it. Once again, I'm Steve.
3: This is Gord.
1: And until next time, have a good one.
3: I do have a good one.
1: You never want to feed Jismo after midnight.